when that 20 minute or 15, 20, 25 minute fireworks show is happening, you, you turn around and you look at the faces of the audience and you could have an 80 year old grandfather sitting next to a seven year old grandson and the, the expression on their face is almost identical with the exception of maybe some wrinkles on the grandfather's <laughs> face. That's Phil Grucci, president and CEO of Fireworks by Grucci, a family business that's been lighting up the skies for six generations. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Fireworks have long been associated with July 4th celebrations. And when I think of fireworks, I think of the Grucci family. For six generations, stretching back to Italy, the Gruccis have been in the forefront of some of the most spectacular and innovative fireworks displays. That's like choreography in light across the skies. They hold nine Guinness World Records, and they've created spectacular displays at major celebrations in the United States, including three Olympic Games, eight presidential inaugurations, the centennial of the Brooklyn Bridge and of the Statue of Liberty, the nation's bicentennial, the bicentennial of the Star-Spangled Banner, and New Year's Eve millennium celebrations across 12 time zones. And I am truly just touching the surface of their impressive resume. Fireworks are a glorious mixture of art, science, and tradition. I love the spectacle, but I'm also curious about how it all comes together. How do the Gruchis do what they do? While the days around July 4th are particularly busy for fireworks by Grucci, President and CEO Phil Grucci and his daughter Lauren, who's a pyrotechnician and photographer in the company, were both gracious enough to give me their time. And it was particularly gracious of Lauren, who was getting over a cold. I began my conversation with Phil and Lauren with my first introduction to fireworks by Grucci, the centennial of the Brooklyn Bridge in 1983. The Brooklyn Bridge was the first big fireworks display I had ever seen. And oh my God, it was just one of the most glorious nights of my life. It was fabulous. We've always said in the family that the Brooklyn Bridge performance set a benchmark that we've always been compared against. Our shows have always been compared against that one performance, and it raised the level of size and complication and precision of some of our bigger performances. Oh, I would think so. And I do want to talk about the Brooklyn Bridge in depth later on. You also do Fourth of July displays for a lot of small and mid-sized city. It's not just always the Statue of Liberty and the Brooklyn Bridge. How many shows are you doing this July 4th? Just a ballpark. Approximately each year is 60 to 65 performances from here uh, in New York. As far up north is Maine and Boston on the Charles River, and far out west is Hawaii at Pearl Harbor and Hickam Air Force Base, as well as Schofield Barracks for the Army. And how many people will be working for you this July 4th? How many people are you sending out? Uh, we have a full-time team of 200 employees, and our part-time staff is about 500 pyrotechnicians. And they're made up of everything from accountants to mechanics to lawyers to, you name it, artists. They spend a, a week with us or two weeks with us on their vacation time, and they'll go out and produce a fireworks show in Washington, D.C., any, or anywhere around the entire country. 
I know each show that you create is unique and, and, and really fitting for the place where it's going to happen. And I'm very curious about how you design it because fireworks to me just seems like this extraordinary combination of artistry and technology. Let's go through the process of how we would create this display. Where do we start? Sure. In fact, we're going through that right now. We had an inquiry come in yesterday for a fireworks program in two weeks on the 20, 28th of June. And as we just discussed, we're in, in the process of preparing for about 65 fireworks shows on the weekend of 4th of July. So the first step is to understand what the theme is of the, uh, of the performance. Why do they want us? Why do they want to commission us to, uh, to perform? So we set the theme. We understand where the performance space is. Is it on a barge? Is it in a ball field? Is it in a big field? Is it on a roof of a building? And then we discuss budget, naturally. Uh, budget determines the size and scope of the program and also the degree of difficulty as it relates to the scope. Then we look at the creative side of it. We generate a soundtrack working again with the theme of the performance. What is the reason? Fourth of July, naturally, the soundtrack is very patriotic, red, white, and blue. Then comes the time where uh, myself and members of the creative team would actually design the performance. So every beat of music, every second, and in some cases, tenths and hundreds of seconds, we're plotting what product is going to perform to that piece of music at that, at that moment. It takes about an hour to an hour and a half of every minute, depending on the difficulty, the size, and scope of the performance, to design the show. Once the design is completed, then it goes into a programming mode because most of our performances are displayed with a computer. It's controlled and fired with a computer system. So there may be a program that uh, has approximately four or 5,000 lines of code that gives the computer's instructions of what to fire and when to fire it and at what location it's positioned in. So once all the administrative and technical aspects of the platform are, are established, the logistics side of the house really kicks in, and that's what my son Christopher and his cousin Corey are doing now as they plan the permitting process and how do you get a permit to fire off the roof of the uh, Lincoln Center and also schedule all of the pyrotechnicians depending on the size of the performance. It could have a minimum of two pyrotechnicians on the performance or it could have 15, 20. The largest show we've ever produced had 250 pyrotechnicians on it. So it's all that behind-the-scenes work that has to happen that people don't realize that you're moving a team from here, from Long Island, to wherever that destination is. So you have to fly them there. You have to put them in hotels. You have to feed them. It's a lot of logistics. And you also have to transport the fireworks, which can't be easy. That's correct. And there's a department that we have within our logistics team that manages all the transportation. And we're not transporting gloves. We're transporting explosives. So escorts going through cities, road closures, bridge closures, and things of that nature all have to be planned from the origin, which is here in New York. And then the installation in the field, actually the location that we're going to perform from takes place. And it could be a minimum of one day, small municipal type program to some of the larger scale programs were on site two or three weeks. Lauren, you were on site in Dubai for what, almost a month to do the, the world record performance? Yes, I was in Dubai for almost a month, and then I was in Qatar for three and a half weeks, right. I believe, because it was multiple shows back to back to back. And Lauren, you're a pyrotechnician. You've been trained to do this. I am. I'm licensed through Gucci, so I'm a licensed pyrotechnician, and I also have hold a license in New York and Massachusetts. 
Can you tell me what exactly that means? If I'm a licensed pyrotechnician, what does that mean that I do and can do? Through Fireworks by Gucci, it doesn't mean, you know, you just have a license to do a fireworks show anywhere on your own. It's through the company. But holding the licenses in New York and Massachusetts are important because a lot of times with those programs, you have to have somebody that is licensed through the state's fire department. If you hold a license that's particular to the state, then you kind of hold a special position on it because logistically, because you have to have a licensed person. You take the ultimate On responsibility site, yeah. for the program. How many varieties of fireworks do you have at your disposal? <laughs> right now, our inventory has about 3,800 different stock keeping units, which are different varieties of products that we can select from. Wow. That's not the quantity. The quantity is in the millions, but the individual varieties and sizes and colors, there's about 3,800 units that we could select from. So when that time comes to sit there in front of the <laughs> blank piece of paper to script the program, it's like scoring uh, characters that are in a ballet. Some are very robust and Baroque-like, and some are very delicate, soft, and you match those characters to the music and also the movement of where you're performing from. So if you're on a tower and you've got a long linear line, for example, we performed on the world's tallest building in Dubai called the Burj Khalifa. And when you have a 2,700-foot vertical line to work with as a stage, you try to match that product and its characteristics to the building and also the music. And you also make custom fireworks. And I'm thinking most specifically of the American flag at the anniversary of the Star Spangled Banner at Fort McHenry. That was one of the real true organic honors that we've ever had uh, when we were called in to, to produce that program. We were asked, what could we do that's different to celebrate our national anthem and to celebrate the flag? And we just developed this microchip technology and also this effect called the pixel burst. And it was a dream always to put the American flag in the sky with this technology. And the timing was so just so very perfect. Wait, wait, wait. What's a pixel burst? The Pixel Burst, it's an aerial shell that gets launched from a very specific mortar, and it has a microchip inside so it can control the time that it takes from the launching from the mortar until you burst it in the sky. And if you can control the speed that it's lifting, it's called the muzzle velocity, you can control that and you can control the time that it travels. You can, in a very abstract manner, you can control the height that the shell is going to burst in the air. In that particular case, we designed and engineered an American flag to be fired at Fort McHenry. And I got to tell you, when that went off, even right now, I get goosebumps because it was just a, such an honor to see that. The whole family was there when we had that because we were anticipating it. And there's a lot of pressure when you have an event like that and you're, yeah. you're, you're pulling at that kind of technology and premiering it to the yeah. nation. It's quite energetic when your heartbeat is thumping out of your chest when, you, when that button is pushed. I I photographed that show. So a lot of times I handle the media on the larger shows, the internal media. So it's coordinating photographers and videographers and myself. I photographed the fireworks as well. And that show, I remember that was the first time that we had ever photographed those type of fireworks. And photographing fireworks in general is always, you know, it's it's tricky. You have to really know how the camera works and how to apply it to the fireworks and different colors of fireworks photograph different ways. So 
to have a giant American flag with fireworks that basically were bursting over and over and over again. I remember we had three photographers and I think we each had maybe four cameras each and they were all set to different things and it was just like, okay, here comes the flag. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there. It was wonderful. When the American flag went up, I was speechless. <laughs> yeah. Well, it caught everybody by surprise. They were like, is that, did I just see yeah. an American flag in the sky? Well, the letters it, too and the numbers. the cartoon <laughs> b- bursting above the, uh, you know, the Capitol and things like that, but they'd never seen it, nor have we, in that kind of a scale until that happened. And Lauren and the team, when they were photographing it, a big part of the mystery is, okay, we, we enjoy the fact that the show went off safely. We really don't enjoy the program in its entirety because we're focused on the mm. technical and the safety aspect. So when all the dust and the smoke settles, all of a sudden all the attention then turns to them, oh, to Lauren and the yeah. team. And go, did you capture it? <laughs> yeah. Did you get it? What does the yeah. video look like? I want to see the pictures because yeah. everybody's so impatient to see everything that she has on all of the cameras that they captured it on. Yeah, some people will come up to you. Can we see? Can we see? (laughs) I'm like, I haven't even looked yet. (laughs) I'm so interested in your family history because, Phil, you're the fifth generation. Lauren, you're the sixth. Tell me about the history of the company that became Grucci. Well, the the history dates back to 1850 in a little seaside town in Italy uh, called Bari, Italy, on the uh, Adriatic Seaside. My second great-grandfather and his son, Anthony, were in Italy. They immigrated through Ellis Island, like many immigrants in the United States have done, back in the early 1900s. When they were in Italy, the industry was very small, and mostly they competed for the products that they made. They would compete against each other on who made the best firework device, not necessarily the best show. When it came here into the United States, they came here basically with a shoebox with some formulas in it and a dream to be in the United States and make a business out of it. And they settled up out here on Long Island in a little town called Elmont, New York. And they opened their small, very small factory, a few buildings in the early 1900s. My grandfather then became apprenticed under his grandfather and his uncle. And then he opened his own factory in 1929 in the village of Belport, which we live in to this date, and our studio is, is in Belport also. And he, he built his business and his facility, although in the scale and size of today's day, it was very small, but back then it was a, a very refined facility. So he worked until the early 70s, and my father, which is the oldest of three children, which is the fourth generation of the family, uh, ended up working with his dad, very much like I did with my dad. And then my father took a role, which is the fourth generation with his brother, uh, my uncle Felix and his, his, uh, his sister, my aunt Donna. And they took it from the 70s to the 80s. Uh, my dad was very energetic to try new things. And we ended up going in 1979 to Monte Carlo to compete in the, the Olympics of fireworks, if you will. I mean, we won the competition. And that's where we were dubbed when we came back to the United States with the gold medal, America's first family of fireworks. My dad, my uncle, and my aunt were making up, they make, made the fourth generation up. Um, unfortunately, in uh, 1983, we did have a, the only industrial um, accident in our family's history that, that, that took my father's life and took my, a cousin of mine's life. And, you know, the business was uh, turned upside down. We we had nothing to, to build off of other than the unity of the family and the unity of the name. 
uh, every generation up to my generation and in the fifth generation had the ability to participate with the family in a very young age before you were formally 18, which is the legal age. Now with the regulations and, uh, and oversight that's, that's out there, Lauren and Christopher and Corey of the sixth generation, they really never touched anything until they were 18 years old formally. In, you know, in the early 80s, I became very active with my, my uncle and my aunt within the business, and we produced some fantastic programs, including 1983, the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, the inaugural of President Reagan, the Olympics in Lake Placid, things of that nature, and that put us on the, on the national stage. And the Statue of Liberty. And the Statue of Liberty in 1986, that's correct. And then we had the opportunity to, to go overseas uh, overseas into the Middle East in the 90s and going into the, into the millennium year. In the millennium year, we, we displayed right off of the Washington Monument, which, was a, a, which is another milestone where we set uh, performing on very sensitive structures. So um, our, our performance platform then ended up expanding to bridges and buildings and any, anything you could look at, we would look at that with, with a lot of energy to want to get onto the top or onto the sides of that structure, buildings and towers and, and the such. So uh, four years ago, we successfully uh, managed and, and created a succession plan to allow my aunt and my uncle to retire. They were ready to retire. We, we, we went through the valuation of a, of a small business, of a family business, and, and now it's the fifth generation and the sixth generation that are operating the, the, uh, the company with with uh, my nephew, Corey, running the personnel side. My son, Christopher, is working, uh, managing the logistics side. Lauren's involved from the photography and pyrotechnician side. And we have many people that don't have the last name Garucci that have been with us for years. And, uh, you know, I do have to say, without those people and the loyalty and 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 the passion that they also have, as the family has, we would never be where we are right now. So the shout out to them is, uh, is important to acknowledge that you know, our staff has grown to over 200 full-time employees. And right now, when you look in our studio here in New York and what's happening in our factory down in Virginia, they're all, they are all focused on the same prize, is getting through the 4th of July safely and, and celebrating our Independence Day. What about some of the safety precautions that you have to take? How far away does the audience have to be from the shells, for example? Many jurisdictions that we work in, states and and various countries, have different requirements. But we work on the basis of, for every inch in diameter of the shell, a minimum we have to have of 70 feet to the audience or to any liability. So if we have a 10-inch in diameter aerial shell where you multiply that by 70 feet, 10 by 70, it gives us 700 feet to the audience that we have to be with launching a 10-inch in diameter shell. Distance is our biggest protection to the audience. The audience also needs to be educated in many cases that, you know, the closer you are, the less comfortable it is to watch a fireworks display because you're craning way back, looking straight up into the sky. And over 20 minutes, that becomes a little bit uncomfortable. The farther back you are when you have a nice 30-degree angle looking at the show is the best position to be in anyway. And what are some of the safety precautions that you take in the factory? I read that you only let four people in a building at the same time. That's correct. Some of the buildings are a little larger where we can have the size of the team that's in there just slightly larger, but we look at it by the square footage of each one of the buildings or the bays, the rooms that are in the building. 
determine the number of operators that could be in that bay, depending on the size and, and how many doors for egress there are in the building. Naturally, in a, an explosive manufacturing facility, one of our biggest enemies is static electricity. So the floors are conductive. They wear special shoes. They have safety glasses on. They have cotton overcoats and personal protective equipment that they have to wear. One of the other key factors of safety is minimum quantities in every one of the workspaces. So only what you need for that one hour of work is what you have in front of you. You don't load the building up with a large quantity of explosives and you only really need you know, 10 pounds of it and you have 500 pounds sitting in the building unnecessarily. So there's many different procedures that we have to follow in the factory and also out in the field. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of safety procedures that every pyrotechnician is trained to follow so that we're safe in the field. So for instance, everyone's trained on how to handle the fireworks because that's a big thing. You know, they have paper casings. So looking at them, they don't look like they're as powerful as they are. It can be kind of easy when you're working on these long shows to start to not underestimate, but you know, you just always have to keep in mind that you are handling explosives. So everyone's trained on how to handle them and how to load them and you never put your body over any type of mortars that are loaded or any firework that's wired, for instance, you know, so you don't throw anything. Everything's handled basically like fine china is <laughs> basically kind of how you want right. to handle everything. But even right down to the clothes you wear and making sure you have hard hats and there's just a lot of details that you have to pay attention to on site to make sure that everything is safe and everything goes smoothly. Okay, now here's the very basic question. What are fireworks made of, and how do you make the colors? Fireworks have not really changed much in the last 50 years as it relates to the engineering of a build, other than the pixel burst type of innovations utilizing the electronics and the microchips. It's basically made of a paper mache type outer casing made out of cardboard that holds all of the components that are on the inside of, the, of an aerial shell the aerial shells launch from a mortar tube, which is basically a cylinder that has a plug on the bottom to close in the pressure and be able to launch it. It's very similar to a cannonball. It gets launched out of a cannon barrel. We use black powder. That's our primary ingredient in every firework because we use it as a lifting charge to lift it out of the mortar. We use it also inside that cardboard, hard cardboard casing as a bursting charge to break the case open and light all of the components that are on the inside of that. So the components that are on the inside of this shell are generally placed inside that shell manually. You know, the, the manufacturing of fireworks is very much a manual operation, with the exception of some components that we press with automated equipment. So the components could be anything from the color, the dots of color that you see in the sky that make the shape of a chrysanthemum or a peony, or they could be small rocket-type motors that are on the inside, so they spin. You see the with the fireworks shell that looks like a a serpent in the sky, a bunch of serpents that are descending in the sky or whistles. Whatever we load inside that payload or whatever that pattern is is what it looks like in the sky when it bursts in the air. So there's a lot of science that goes into it. The colors are made by various elements and metals and, and uh, oxidizers and fuels that we utilize. One of the most easiest visual example I can give you is take an iron bar and then if you put that on a grinding wheel, and you see the sparks that come off of that, the brownish type gold sparks that will come off of that. What you're doing when you put that iron bar onto that grinding wheel is you're breaking down that bar into very small pieces, little bits of iron, and you're also heating it up. So when you heat up iron, you get a dark brown 
willow type look. If you heat up copper, for example, you'll get a very blue flame that comes out of that. It's made up of a lot of chemistry using very specific particle sizes of each chemical, specific purities, and each metal that we work with. And then once we process that into those little components that are called stars and they burn, they'll give us that red peony or that gold glitter to purple chrysanthemum look in the sky. It's just that easy. <laughs> simple. <laughs> just that simple. <laughs> simple. <laughs> what drew you to go into the business? I know there's the family and there's the tradition, but what else drew you to wanting to be involved in in fireworks? I was addicted back when I was, I remember my first fireworks show I went on. Uh, my dad and my grandfather and uncle and aunt they, and my grandmother, we used to produce the fireworks at Coney Island uh, every Tuesday night during the summer, and every Wednesday night was Rockaway Playland. And at a, and at a very early age, I was about five years old, six years old, and this is the beauty of you know multi generational family and being able to experience this is I would go in the truck with my father you know early in the day to go out to the barge and my uncle and we would be out there with with the crew sitting in the truck with dad driving to the site you know is the coolest thing in the world when you get out there on the barge and you're you're part of the team and then my grandfather would come around four o'clock in the afternoon. And he'd take me off the barge. Obviously, I was way too young to go out on the ocean and, and shoot the show with, with, uh, with the elders. So he would take me off the barge, and we would go over to uh, Gargiulio's, a little Italian restaurant, and wait for the barge to come around the, around the corner, around the horn, and come in front of uh, Coney Island. And then we would go out onto the, on the boardwalk, and he'd have, a, he'd have this radio. It, it was about two feet in, in length and a half a foot in diameter with this five-foot antenna on it. <laughs> and he'd be calling the barge. And it was, you know, for a young boy to be, to be part of that and see the coolness of him communicating with, with my dad out on the barge. And, and then the fireworks started. And then afterwards, the people would come all over the place, from the bo all around the boardwalk, to, and they would, they would basically rush my grandfather and congratulate him on how great the show was and that's very addictive and uh that's when i can that's the earliest i can remember that i that's when i said i this is what i want to do and then for formal education for my bachelor's degree in finance and i knew i was going to school at liu to contribute to this family business and um you know i never looked back and what about for you lauren my first show was in Hawaii, so it was a little bit of it was a little bit of a perk because it was in Hawaii. But my first show was Fourth of July in Pearl Harbor, and before that, when I was younger, it was still the same draw. It was kind of that camaraderie when you would go on site when we were younger, and there wasn't any product on site yet. My dad used to bring Christopher and I, and we would see all the the men and women, the pyrotechnicians, and everybody was friends. It's basically like our extended family. When I was younger, these people were my family and still are. And that was always the draw for me was just the team aspect of it. And, you know, obviously at the, at the end of the day when the show is over, there is kind of a rush that you get um, because there's so much work that does go into it that you're really proud. And it's also nice to hear the oohs and the ahs because people really do love it. And that's why we do it. Yeah, as, as Lauren said, we do have many extended members of the family that, that we spend time with even after, well, it's really never 
after the job is over because we're always working. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the subject always turns to fireworks one way or another. But, you know, we like I said, we, we have many people that are part of our team. And, and uh, that's what draws our pyrotechnicians to the program. It's not just the fireworks show. It's, it's the friendships that they make when they're out there in the field. You know, it strikes me, and I could be wrong because I know nothing, but the shift to computers would have been a pretty major change in the way you create your firework displays. My generation saw our industry go from lighting fireworks with a torch to pushing a button with, with a very crude electrical system that looks like a bunch of light switches on a, on a piece of wood to working with laptop computers and, and the fireworks being fired automatically. And now we're fully automated and wireless and firing off of GPS satellites and things like that. So the computer is giving us, not only on the, in the field side, obviously in, in being able to display the fireworks shows and display on places we would never be able to do, obviously with a torch. And it also, naturally for everybody in business, has done major things with project planning and financing and everything else that you need to run your business as a basis. And safety. So, and safety as well. That's, that's a very good point, Lauren. You know, with the computer, we've eliminated any of the manual firing of, of fireworks, meaning going up to a, a mortar and, and lighting the fuse and taking three steps and crouching down in, uh, and, and that mortar, <laughs> that shell comes flying out of the mortar at 400 feet a second. So now the pyrotechnicians are either with a manual console behind a protective shelter or a computer system firing the program remotely. So it's, it's provided us a great deal of safe, additional safety. This is what I'm thinking about, like the Brooklyn Bridge Centennial, where we began this conversation. That would be pre-computer and it would require manual firing. It was pre-computer by one year. <sighs> we, we produced the Brooklyn Bridge in 1983. And a uh, college buddy of mine, Scott Razzle, which is now our CFO, wrote a program in 1984 that assisted us in the choreography and all of the drawings that are necessary that come from the choreography to set the show up. And we premiered that at the South Street Seaport in 1984. And after that, it was, it was so widely successful for us to be able to manage a large performances and distribute the fireworks and the circuitry based on a very more elaborate design, it was actually chosen as the system to use for the Statue of Liberty Centennial in 1986, which we collaborated with two other firework companies around the country. The computer we did it on back in 1984 had a 10 megabyte hard drive on it. You know, <laughs> just to give you the, you know, a little tiny green monochromatic screen and a, a daisy wheel printer that we were printing <laughs> off of. It's pre-computer and it's the Brooklyn Bridge Centennial and you had people on the Brooklyn side of the bridge, people on the Manhattan side of the bridge, boats in the water, and then people on the north side and the south side of the bridge. And you have to create a display that somehow at certain points will be able to focus on each individual quadrant there. It, well, the beauty of the fireworks in general, the aerial shells, are they're in 3D. Yeah, they are. It's a spherical <laughs> item. So when you display from multiple stages like barges that are in a linear format uh, on the East River, for example, but they straddle the bridge, both the north and south side of the bridge. Then from the aerial shells that are coming off the barge, anybody that's in the 360-degree arena has an opportunity to see the same show. 
Where it becomes 2D is when you have the bridge itself, when you, when you perform from underneath the roadway, we put the waterfall, if you remember that big white cascade of a waterfall. Oh, how could I ever forget that waterfall? Are you kidding? That was extraordinary. <laughs> so, yeah, so something like that is very much dependent on where you are positioned for your point of view to see whether you're looking at it perpendicular or you're looking at it in parallel. So you'll see a straight line or you'll see the beautiful spread of the, of the waterfall going over the entire 2,000-foot uh, East River. Uh, and then we also, on that, on that performance, we displayed off the top. And that was a very strong and fantastic memory that I have because we had to climb the necklace of the Brooklyn Bridge and climb up to the top. And back then, the, the four harnesses were a hemp rope that was wrapped around a belt, basically. And uh, climb up to the top, get up on top of the tower. And it's not very big. And we were loading fireworks up there. It really became sobering to understand yeah, that you're wow. on top of the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> What do you think our attraction, people's attraction to fireworks are? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into it, especially now because, you know, you go to a show and you don't really know what you're going to see because it's not just aerial shows, shells anymore. And the choreography, I think, to the music usually gets people. But it's always the finale. It's always the sound and the colors and just the sheer power of it I think that people really appreciate and they they look for I get a lot of pleasure out of looking at the audience because most all fireworks programs are free so people come <laughs> to those events it's generally you come with your family and friends and when that 20 minute or 15 20 25 minute fireworks show is happening you, you turn around you look at the faces of the audience and you could have an 80 year old grandfather sitting next to a seven year old grandson and the, the expression on their face is almost identical with the exception of maybe some wrinkles on the grandfather's <laughs> face. You know, the expression is that mouth open. It's a moment where they forget all of the troubles that they may have in their lives and all the troubles that are happening in the world. And it, you could smell it, you could feel it, you could see it. It really touches all of the senses. It's a beautiful time when, when you sit down and really enjoy a performance like that. I think that is a great place to leave it. Phil and Lauren, thank you. Thank you for giving me your time so generously in this very busy season. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank <laughs> you very much for the opportunity. Enjoy your 4th of July. Thank you. That was president and CEO of Fireworks by Grucci, Phil Grucci, and pyrotechnician and photographer, Lauren Grucci. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. You can subscribe to Artworks wherever you get your podcasts, so please do. And leave us a rating on Apple if you like us, because it helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening, and have a safe and wonderful 4th of July weekend. <laughs>